You came out to talk Goodwood Revival 2021. Well, hello everyone and good evening, good morning, or as always, whenever you're listening to us, it's just the two of us today. We've been left to our own devices, which is dangerous and potentially an absolute editing nightmare for Andrew, who also normally produces us as well. Anyway, I'm Mike. I'm Jim, good evening, and, uh, and it, it feels a bit odd not being sort of supervised by grown-ups, despite rapidly approaching 40 years of age, I still don't feel like a grown-up. We'll see how we get on. So the reason why we are here doing a podcast together is because we went to Goodwood Revival over the weekend. We did, only one day as it, uh, as it happened, as uh, life and other commitments get in the way, but uh, it was a day very well spent. I think the, the weather was quite gentle to us, wasn't it? There was a bit of rain here and there, but just, just enough to spice things up on track, but not so much that, uh, that our tweet got soaked through. We did definitely pick the worst day for it, didn't we, uh, in terms of weather? Yes, well, worst day or best day, I don't know, is it something about being in a, as much vintage clothing as we could muster together between us, or, or in your case, just clothing? It was, um, yeah, <laughs> but if, if it had been nudging 30 degrees, it would have been unpleasant, but it was a, a thoroughly nice day out as always, and a good amount of people there, slightly quieter than, than years gone by, although it's I, time does funny things to your memory, doesn't it? It seems like a long time ago since we were last there. Mm, I mean, there's something I need to point out here. When you say clothing, it wasn't just that I don't normally wear clothes, it's that I have a lot of tweed and that's just normally what I wear. I look like I'm going to the revival every day of the week if I'm not at work. That's the first thing. Uh, and secondly, it was it was quieter. It seemed a bit smaller to my mind. Uh, it was still a really great show. But in some ways, you kind of forgot that there's been a whole pandemic going on because you were shoulder to shoulder with everyone else and it was busy in places, unless you're in, in the paddocks where you have to wear a shirt and tie to it to get in and have the right ticket in the first place. But on the other hand, you kind of feel slightly uncomfortable with the fact you are so close to people when you suddenly remember. And that's generally when you see one of the two people in the show that are wearing a face mask. It is a bit odd. Yeah, and I'm I'm not entirely unconvinced that wasn't the same person that we saw twice. It was kind of hard to tell with the mask on <laughs> because you, you couldn't see much of his face. Nevertheless, we've all had enough of, of COVID and it was great to be able to do something proper again. And like always at Goodwood, you could get close to the cars. I would say you could get close to the people, but actually you couldn't do that so much. There weren't quite so many of the, of the big names kicking around, were there? Uh, no, I think as always, they, they seem to be uh, spirited off and away. Because, of course, plenty of the uh, the drivers still have their their ongoing racing commitments. I mean, there was, a, you know, if you like uh, Jackie Stewart and Damon Hill who were there over the course of the weekend, obviously aren't racing, racing on a day-to-day basis. Um but there's, there was plenty of people there who've got racing commitments and work commitments outside of the revival. So just needing to be careful um, for their own safety more than anything. Obviously, they're slightly more exposed to the risk than we are because they're travelling here, there, everywhere and meeting with lots of different people every uh, every other weekend. So they need to be a bit careful. So it was understandable, really. But, of course, the, uh, the main main focus of the attention was on the the track i mean a, a particular highlight for me was watching the uh, the mini racing i mean i'm not i'm not mm. the biggest fan of the old mini in the world I'll, I'll be the first to admit i don't really fit in them the driving positions a bit off many many things i would change about them to make them to my mind a better car but maybe that would lose take the, the front seat out and sit in the back yeah i, I, think, I think that's probably that's, the answer yeah for you. that's probably one thing to start off with uh, but it's the um yeah, I, I guess I just don't get the old Mini. I get the, you know, your chain Mini, the Binny. I, I get mm. that because of um, it's it's a good evolution of it and it takes some of the, the original fun parts of the Mini, but it brings it up to modern standards and gives it a good amount of pep and 
mini handling is obviously one thing, but it keeps that that mini handling, but it adds a bit more grip to it as well. But the that one half entertaining watching them all belt around the track in that because I I just got the sense with the mini there was a bit of well if something goes a little bit wrong I know I can replace it kind of thing whereas lots mm. of the machinery on display you know you you just simply couldn't replace it or if you if you did have a shunt in it it would be many many hours in custom fabrication of parts because they, they just don't make them anymore the original mini it's got such a following so many bits and pieces would be easy to source off the shelf and, and you could put it back together in a couple of weeks and go again so i think that had a, a little bit to do with it because that was that was some of the most on the limit racing i've seen for a, a long long time i think it always is and, and and nick swift is is epic at this he just goes flying through everything and, and practically just doesn't lift uh, you know they're always they're always flat out when you see them sort of pitching into a corner all drifting together it's it's almost balletic i think you see them one after the other just slide 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 and, and Cooper's a great place to watch mini racing as well so flat and you can see for some distance wherever you are on on, on each sort of corner i suppose of, of the circuit I, I, I love minis i've always loved minis as you know and being short i fit in them quite well even though it has a they have a very weird anyone that's driven one will know this but they have a very weird steering arrangement where you're sort of uh, the steering will sort of twisted round a bit a bit like a bus or something it it's unusual it's a bit weird but there's something about the way that they they go and i don't mean that they're not quick at all really in, in the grand scheme of things but the way they handle and carry speed it's just something else and they're cheeky and they're cheerful and they're british um so when you see them going round and you know you know socking it to jerry or to the yanks or something they go flying through the bends um you still have a bit of the uh, bit of wartime spirit at goodwood can't you there's lots of that pip pips lots of motoring in the sunshine dear boy yeah they they went quite far with the uh, with the the wartime vibe this time we were fortunate enough that uh, that we got given lunch and we got bully beef sandwiches didn't we it was corned beef wasn't it but i I presume bully beef is the old-fashioned term for it, is it? Mm. I've I've not had corned beef since I don't know my grandparents force-fed it to me as a kid. I thought it was very acceptable. I liked it, and I got I got two pork pies. You did. You gained my pork pies. I wasn't altogether too keen on that, but nevertheless, very good lunch. There you go. Review, guys. If you get the opportunity to go as press to Goodwood, make sure you enjoy uh, a wartime-style lunch. Lucky as we are, a great weekend. Yeah, but it's uh, it not too much in the way of manufacturer support for a few things was there but again go mm. circling around and i think the the running theme of this podcast might be mini because mini were very well represented they they really made the effort hadn't they they had a, a mm. corner of the uh, one of the the buildings there was uh, was dedicated to them the Ells Court Motor Show, wasn't it yeah they uh, they had the side of that and they had a, a very nice mix they had uh, electric minis and paddy hopkirks style mini and a mini of your shape with the jcw so you know r56s is an r56 yours r53 r53 i always get confused f yeah it's f56 r53 isn't it do you know why they are r by the way and the other ones are f is that i don't know why the other ones are f because they are no r because they are no the the reason why they're r this is a geeky fact for everyone here they're going to enjoy us i'm sure the designation is r for rover because it was already a rover project Ah. so the r50 which is a normal Cooper and one, the R53, which is the supercharged version, the R52, which is the convertible version, all are because they were Rover projects. And if you have a look at my car, there are bits of pieces of BMW and Rover in it. So the, the window regulators, this is exciting for everyone I know, um, and geeky. Where's Dave? When you Dave, Dave loves this kind of detail. The E46 um, window regulators for 
for the for the frameless doors. Sadly, not uh, not frameless in a lot of the minis these days. Um, they are in the in the coupe or say coupe is a hatchback, is it? Not coupe at all. And the catches that release the little levers that release the the back seats to fold them down, they come about a Rover Twenty Five. There you uh, go. Uh, you would not have known that, would you, if I had not said? No, I, I feel all the more enlightened for it. My, my brain feels that bit heavier with the information that's now been poured into the side of it. Yep. Anyway. 100% not going to come up in a pub quiz. The uh, Well, you never know. It could be the final question on who wants to be a millionaire. But the uh, the R53 Mini they had there was, was particularly well cared for and, uh, and quite mm. tasty, wasn't it? But it was good to see them there and, and chatting to one of the lads on the the stand that I know from the mini racing days, he said, you know, it's, it's not about selling cars to anyone or, you know, measuring things or saying, have we sold 28 cars as a direct result of this or have we sold a million? It's, it's just about keeping the name out there, keeping the brand out there and, and keeping the fun side of motoring going. And that's uh, that's quite important, I think, because it's, it's all too easy for manufacturers to lose their way or focus purely on the pound notes or think that, well, no, that doesn't make us any money or that makes us money so we'll do more of that whilst sort of forgetting that actually what gets people excited about cars is the fun cars and, and you need that that fun side of things otherwise your your brand image very quickly disappears if uh, if if all you do is stuff that satisfies accountants and spreadsheets mm. it's, it's maybe not the best long-term strategy but we shall see but no, it was good to see uh good to see them there and i think you uh, you signed up for a test drive of the electric mini didn't you I have signed up for a 48-hour test drive. Yes, I haven't heard from the dealer yet, so maybe that will happen over the, over the course of the next few days. Not sure. You wouldn't expect a response within an hour, would you? Because they'll have taken a lot of leads, etc. So we'll, uh, we'll let them oh, work yeah, their way yeah. through it. They did have the, the pace setter there as well, which is a, a dressed-up normal mini electric car, as I understand it. But uh, there have been whispers everywhere that there might be a, a John Cooper Works version of the electric mini, and that would be very interested in driving, because I think that would be a hoot. Well, I think it's it's got to come stuff like that because it's the mm. success of the JCW models and GTI models and ST models over the years. You know, there's certainly that uh, that appetite for it. I mean, most cars have got a rather decent amount of pep and performance behind them anyway. Uh, it's just getting the styling and the looks and the brakes and the handling to go with all that, isn't it? Mm. But the Mini Electric, very, very highly rated, and hopefully I shall let you know exactly what it's like very soon, but we'll, we'll see. But of course, uh, as, as smooth a segue as I think we're going to end up with this evening, from uh, the Rover parts on the BMW Mini to the Rover 200, which of course had a BRM special edition. It did we, uh, have a BRM, uh, There we yes. go. We, yeah, uh, we spent a bit of time chatting to uh, the chaps. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know, are they all in a collection somewhere just waiting to be unleashed in 20 years time for fifty thousand pounds or they're all waiting to have the head gaskets done well possibly yes um i think yeah, well but... actually yeah because if uh, if you had a warranty claim in at the particular time when rover went bust you're it's still on back order isn't it the head gasket so probably referred and expected to ship any day now who knows yeah sometime never they they were they were quite the thing weren't they the, the green with the, the orange lower grill and i remember thinking they're a bit odd as a kid but now obviously knowing a little bit more about brm and the fantastic uh v16 engine the incredibly complicated fantastic v16 engine that they've built it makes a lot of sense so we are down at the paddock now with BRM and I'm here with Simon Owen who is the director of BRM. Now this is a company that's absolutely steeped in history but it has been reborn into something new and very exciting. 
I have to say, your suit is exceptional. It's matched to the cars here. So it's sort of a British racing green tweed with an orange collar, and I'm quite jealous. The suit, yeah, I'm glad you noticed. Um, I made a little bit of effort for it. Uh, a brief plug to Dress to Kill, who helped out um, tailor the suit. But it's, um, yeah, it's quite hard to match uh, BOM colours with the tweed. And then a, a dash of orange to represent the uh, Rubrio in nose, uh, nose cone of the uh, 60s cars. It's exceptional. I've spotted you sort of standing, apart from the fact that you're at least a good foot taller than me, which I imagine must make it incredibly hard if you've had the, the joy of being able to get into one of the cars and test it. For me, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm about five foot eight, and I can just about fit in these cars comfortably. Yeah, I mean, I'm 6'5", I'm ex-rugby player. Um, I'm not designed to get in these cars. Um, I think they're more akin to design for Gonzales or Fangio, but... Um, I can just about get in there. I haven't driven it yet. I hope to at some stage once I'm told or taught how to do it properly. Uh, but it, yeah, it is pretty tight in there. Um, we've, we've got our fa- well, my father in there last week for the first time and uh, we've really struggled to get him out. He's a similar stature. Um, it was quite hilarious. We, we almost left him on the, uh, on the tarmac at Blyton. Uh, and called an ambulance to get him out but uh, he had a big smile on his face I, I think some things are worth it and even if I had to be taken out with wedges I think I would be quite happy to do that so just tell us a little bit about the car we stood next to because this is actually the newest old car here I think isn't it? Absolutely yeah it's quite bizarre when you wander down the paddock and you see 1949, 1949, 1953, 2021, and the cars pretty well look identical. Um, yeah, this is uh, an incredible feat of uh, modern engineering uh, by Hall & Hall. They basically spent two years uh, building the car. It's got 36,000 individual uh, engineered uh, parts. They've had... Uh, an incredible journey trying to uh, build this thing in time Um, and it's just a piece of of motoring art it really is and it sounds phenomenal Um, you know there were some tough times trying to reverse engineer the Rolls-Royce supercharger Um, but you know they've they've managed to do it on time uh, for, for this event which is phenomenal um, and we're very, very proud to, to have it um, you know, within the family. One thing that strikes me, looking up and down uh, all of the cars, no matter what year they are, actually, I think if you took the year plates off them, you'd have a hard time telling which one was old and which one's new. The standard of finish on these is is phenomenal. I think they're some of the best presentation of cars I've seen here. So the, the hours that's gone into it must be quite a few. Yeah, I certainly can't take any credit for that, but yeah, you're absolutely spot on. Uh, credit goes to Hall & Hall. And a big shout-out, really, of, of thanks to all the um, BRM owners around the world that have contributed to this amazing occasion. Um, it really is a show of force from BRM again. And uh, we're extremely proud. I've, I've been here all weekend with my father, um, son of Sir Alfred Owen, who bought the uh, BRM in 1952. Um, and as his grandson, it's, uh, it makes us extremely proud to see 
uh, BRM show of force this weekend. This is absolutely incredible. It's a, it's a beautiful car. The finish, as, as Jim has just said, is, is absolutely ex- exceptional. But the engineering is something else, isn't it? So there's an engine here which is, is just absolutely huge. Um, now, the, there's a, another version of this car, Sandy, and another original that's just too priceless to race that's in a museum. So this, if people want to see one of these actually being run, this is the only real opportunity to see this car in action. As I understand it, this has been built to FIA standards so it can compete. Uh, and it has a V16 under the bonnet. Is that right? Well, that's right. What we've done this weekend is we've got the largest collection of V16s um, ever assembled. Uh, we have the Bewley car, actually, the one you're referring to, uh, chassis number one uh, that's that's come out of Bewley. Uh, that was on the track um, together with uh, three three other BRMs on, on Friday. So we're hoping to get four out today. Um, we've got two Mark IIs. One of the Mark IIs uh, is running. And then hopefully we're going to have three Mark Ones uh, going around the track at a decent lick today. I think the whole point um, that my father wanted to get across of getting this this car built is for people to to hear the sound again um, and hear it running at, a, at racing speeds. We won't get up to racing speeds today. We'll probably only get to nine thousand revs. It gets up to twelve thousand when it's racing, and the sound is phenomenal. So we're hoping um, potentially next year that we'll we'll get it closer to the twelve thousand and people can hear actually what it sounded in in period. Wow. And- so what sort of what sort of power is this car? You say it revs incredibly high. It's like a motorbike, almost in that, yeah. that aspect. I mean, it, it's ironic. I don't have a clue how engines work. I really don't. Um, but it, it's a 16 cylinder. It's a V16. Uh, it's got a twin stage supercharger that was um, built by Rolls Royce. It's a downscale version of a supercharger that was on the Merlin engine of a Spitfire. Um, and in period, it, it was purported to get to about uh, 580, 600 brake horsepower. Wow. We've had the new engine on the dyno, and the reading was 627 brake horsepower. Wow. Um, Which, through through ties for those listening to this podcast, are not quite as wide as the palm of my hand. Must, must make life interesting, particularly in the sort of weather we've got today as well. Yeah, I mean, how those guys, you know, Parnell drove it in period uh, when it was hosing down here in uh, 50, I think it was. Um, God, God only knows. Um, it's incredible. But, um, yeah, for a 1.5-litre engine to develop that sort of power through skinny tyres um, you know, and a, a leather hat and some goggles, um, those guys had some, uh, some, some balls. They did. But it's quite, me for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's, quite a, it's quite forward-thinking in a way, though, isn't it? Because for, for a long, long time, the, uh, the quest for more power led to bigger displacement. But actually, BRM were doing small capacity, supercharged, you know, forced induction engines <laughs> long before car manufacturers cottoned on to that. I mean, more recently, we've seen two and three four-cylinder engines, one litre or less, with a turbocharger being common for road cars. But So about, about 70 years ahead of its time, then. Well, I mean, BRM were innovators. Um, you know, that, that's clear from you know, the, the very first cars. The, the B16 was the first Formula One car to have disc brakes. Um, you know, the, the technology post-war, was a lot of it was used from aviation technology because of uh, post-war. We've, um, you know, the tachometer is, is from a Wellington bomber. 
Um, you know, there's, it, it's just incredible the level of engineering that you know, in period what they did there, and there's no doubt it was way ahead of its time. Um, you know, to develop that sort of power even now um, is, is something to uh, you know is not easy, and to do it you know from 1949 is is unbelievable. There is one thing we must mention now. If you've not seen it, you need to go to YouTube and type in The Awakening and Chrysalis and take a look at some videos because these are, are pretty incredible. Now, you'll be able to hear some of the noise of the cars running today, but you need to hear this engine. It is something very, very special. If you wouldn't mind just telling us a little bit more about that video, it is, it is something else. Yeah, I mean, my background is, is storytelling. Um, you know, I, I'm director of a, another company called Wonder Hatch, and Wonder Hatch have, have been working with me to create these films. We just want to try and approach things slightly differently and tell the BRM story uh, authentically and in a, in a slightly different way that engages you know, a new audience, a younger audience that might not have heard of BRM. And um, you know, the first film, The Reawakening, is the reawakening of the brand, um, coming back from uh, you know obscurity, really. Um, and we did that at RAF Fockingham, where the original car was unveiled to the world on 15th of December 1949. Um, and that's all about the engine coming back to life. Um, and that was one of the original engines. And then the second film, The Chrysalis, is celebrating the new engine on the dyno. Um, and people's reaction, the local people are born in Lincolnshire, their reaction to the sound of that. And it stars, uh, everyone in there is local, some are BRMA members, uh, my daughter's in there, and most importantly, my father is the conductor um, on, the, on, the, uh, on the revs, and then we were very honoured to have Dick Salmon, uh, ex-BRM mechanic who worked on the V16 in period, um, as, as the star at the end. To that, that reacted uh, to the sound of the engine, and um, you know, it's quite emotive. It's very emotive for us and uh, as a family to bring it back to to life. And um, yeah, we we feel we hold the the BRM name in trust for the nation. Um, and so there's a great deal of responsibility to treat it correctly and do everything correctly. Now there's obviously this is a bit about BRM now, but there's a huge amount of heritage, more than we can certainly go into now. But there's a, a, a lot of highlights. There's a, a number of, of star drivers. Yeah, I mean, our strap line really is driven by champions because um, yeah, we've got five world champions that, that drove for us. You know, uh, we've got Stuart, Surtees, um, Fangio. Uh, Hill, of course, uh, and others, and um, you know the who's who of, of you know Sterling even tested for us. You know Mike Hawthorne. We've just got in incredible names uh, that are you know that have driven our cars, um, and it's it's a privilege and an honour really to, to to be involved in this project. And yeah, we we just want to share it with everyone uh, because it's a lovely, great British story. I think people don't realise that you know BRMs one of the the, the visions of Raymond Mays, who set it up, was to win the world championship in a British car driven by a British driver. And, um, you know, it took, took our time getting there, but we got there in 1962, and we were runner-up uh, four times afterwards. So uh, it's an incredible British story that we 
just want to tell again. Speaking of, uh, of awakenings and resurrections, of course, I think BRM's first uh, couple of Grand Prix victories came at Zandvoort, which, of course, we've had uh, another race there, and orange, the colour seems to suit fairly well. So did, did it bring, you know, stir the emotions watching Formula One cars return to Zandvoort and maybe maybe any, re- any plans to give this a run out at Zandvoort, perhaps? Anything is possible. Um, I mean, what we've done as a, as a small group um, with a limited budget is, is trying to bring the brand back to public, public consciousness um, and, and particularly to try and focus on this event um, and, and to get 35 BRMs here um, you know, for this show of uh, strength is, has been our focus. What we're going to do now is, is sit down and, and sort of take a breath and say, OK, We've done this amazing event. Where do we go from here? Uh, And then anything's possible. Because our main reason for doing this is is to tell the BRM story authentically, because we are the family, tell it to a new audience, and go racing again. And that's why we built this car. It's going to be so exciting to see that out on track. Thank you so much for talking to us. It's really hugely appreciated. (laughs) It's just a festival of noise here. We really look forward to hearing this later on. No, absolutely, and um, you know, I just—that's um, not a BRM, by the way. Um, I just want to, uh, you know, just want to thank Goodwood for having us, really, and for making this possible, um, and to Hall and Hall for all their support over the years and for building such an incredible car. Um, it's going to be a really fun time ahead of us, and um, we're all massively excited, and we appreciate all the all the support from everyone. Because uh, you know, one thing we've you know, last couple of years we've really noticed is is the wave of, of public support for this project. Um, it's just a really feel-good story, and um, we thank everyone for their support. Thank you. And yes, we were lucky enough to have a quick catch up with uh, Ben Mitchell as well, who'd uh, just taken one of the BRMs around the track and managed to win his race here, the Richmond Trophy. So we're with Ben Mitchell, the winning driver of the 2021 Richmond Trophy in a BRM P25. And Ben, I think it's the first time you've actually raced the BRM P25. What was it like? celebration of BRM's 70th anniversary here at Goodwood and Bible is just the icing on the cake for what's been a fantastic weekend of, uh, of, of BRM's. You've also driven the P48 on a number of occasions. How does the P25 compare to the BRM P48? It's much better. Um, it's 
quite interesting with the engine in the front. It just means that you have that weight, uh, which sort of lures you in, thinking you can you can brake a bit harder, a bit later. But it's actually it's very easy to overshoot the corner, whereas a rear engine car quite low traction um, and turn better. So it's a little bit of adjustment for both of just starting to drive, and it's a retrace the steps of likes of Fred Hill and Dan Gurney that have driven them forward. Fantastic. Thank you ever so much and well done once again. If you've got a couple of minutes to spare, go and have a, a look on YouTube at the highlights of that. Because the other, the thing that was really good about the weekend was the uh, the social media coverage. And, you know, if you couldn't be there mm. in person, didn't want to be there in person for whatever reason, or it's just a bit too far to travel uh, with everything going on, the coverage of it that was online was wonderful. It was, you know, I had it on all day in the background whilst I was at work on Friday. Uh, just to get warmed up for the weekend and it and it covers everything and it's a full day of, of video and highlights and interviews and whatever else so it, it just gets you that that little bit closer and all on YouTube's so all free of charge and I think they've done done quite a bit in terms of, of making it more accessible to people and even if you didn't want to go and watch all of the racing you could just get tickets for the the little over the road shows you could go and look at all the stalls and the merch and the memorabilia uh, there was um you know, a fun fair with a, an old-fashioned helter skelter and a Ferris wheel and things like that for the kids to play on and food and whatever else. So you could, if you could, probably drive in cinema. Yeah, yeah, you you could have probably quite happily wasted an entire day just at the over the road show, couldn't you? Never mind about the over the other side of the road at the uh, at the actual track. I, I think you probably could, and certainly you can spend the entire day not seeing any of the racing, or you could spend the entire day seeing the racing. Obviously, we, we spoke to. Um, we spoke to Ben, as, as you say, and uh, as you've probably heard, um, and we had a little bit of a chat with him off of mic as well. So, look, what's it honestly like racing someone's car that's worth, you know, thousands or millions of pounds amongst other cars that are worth thousands, hundreds of thousands or millions of pounds? And he, he admitted that he still gets up to about 90% of, of race pace, which I think is incredible. But by the same token, you try not to think about the fact that every other car around you is worth an absolute fortune. And the visibility from the little mirrors, in case you're wondering, they're on the on, on the screen, so they're sort of like little bullet mirrors. They just vibrate, like Maddie said. So you can't see a car coming up behind. All you can just see is a blur and just hope for the best. And yeah, you, moment. you have a vague idea that there's a car somewhere approximately on the side that you're looking at, but it's it's just not not as clear or crisp as you want it to be it's a bit like if you haven't uh, you know if you've driven a thousand miles on the motorway in the rain but you haven't cleaned your mirrors or your rear view mirror and the salt on the roads and whatever it's just everything becomes a, an approximate shape in those conditions doesn't it but of course goodwood is there's a you know a, the, a slower bit of, of the chicane just before the start finish line but if you get that wrong there's almost zero runoff and the most of the runoff seems to be um Lord March's flower beds, which look quite pretty, and the, I did see a wheel yeah. come off a car, and uh, it went into one of those flower beds, which was a bit of a shame, really, because it it chucked a lot of foliage up into the air. But I'm sure it'll grow back. But so there's there's not much there if it goes wrong. Um, but most of the rest of the circuit is such high speed that there's there's some runoff before you get to the barrier. But particularly on Sunday, as it was a bit wet, the grass never really mm. dried out, did it? As we were walking around, the grass was always damp underfoot. So, and that's that's a horrible state for the grass to be in. So if you do go off, that's when you almost seem to accelerate towards the barrier. You know, you can be as hard on the brakes as you like, or everything's locked up or crossed up or whatever, and and you just 
seem to scrub no speed at all and and then you're in the tyre barrier so there were a few thrills and spills over the weekend but it's I, I don't know I think lots of the owners I think sort of accept you know it's a risk if it really was priceless and irreplaceable to you then you wouldn't enter it for the weekend would you because something can always it's go sure wrong. It will. well yeah, yeah. But, it, but it you know it doesn't matter who's driving it and who's in the cars that are surrounding it things can go wrong and wheels can fall off and whatever else and, and accidents and incidents do happen so it's a it's a risk but it's a it, it does make me very happy that the owners and the drivers are still there taking those risks and although ben said 90 odd percent for the uh, the brm going back to the mini racing that certainly wasn't 90 odd percent was no, it? that was 110 uh, that, that was that was 100 <laughs> as a very very minimum starting point uh and uh and work upwards from there and this is the thing with good it, it is real racing it isn't just cars being paraded around hell even the parade lap wasn't wasn't cars being paraded around was it <laughs> the guys really go going for it i mean you had uh, jackie stewart up front Derek bell behind and then <laughs> they were waved off the line and hopefully you'll be able to take a look at some of the pictures that we've taken uh, down on, on the start line we were lucky enough to stand on the, on the side of the track to be able to see but they did just absolutely just f- fly off the line except for what I think was an Izetta or something at the back which didn't fly anywhere <laughs> um, <laughs> sort of trundled off the line and off, off around the track uh, presumably to re-emerge at some point during the next race Uh yeah, it's, it's 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 great. It's well worth going just to see the racing. And if you can't go to see the racing, wherever you are in the world, listening to us right now, and thank you, um, then take a look at the the feed on YouTube. Just do a little bit of a Google and um, Google Revival Festival Speed, whatever it is. Subscribe to the channel, and it pops up on on your phone or whatever, and you can see uh, see the guys absolutely hammering around the hammer around the track. Um, there's there's also quite a nice mix of um, of different ages and. And genders of drivers as well. We uh, managed to catch up with someone very briefly who was just heading out on track. Uh, Tanya, who races a, um, a Talbot Largo that uh, that we know relatively well, that was some years ago raced um, by uh, the owner of, of the business that we work for. And uh, yep, she was heading straight out. And there's no no holes barred. They just go out there, really have it, and uh, and just really enjoy it. And there's something joyful about race cars that are still used as race cars. Because otherwise, what's the point? You could hang it on the wall, I suppose. You could put it in a museum. But these were cars that were designed for one purpose, and that was to go as fast as possible, and and win races. And it, it seemed an almighty shame to lose that. It gives us the opportunity as well, where you you get to have cars that sound absolutely incredible. They're deafening. Some of the cars, V8s, you know, whatever it might be, V12s, V10s, flat engines, whatever. They they all have their own distinctive sound and they are all incredibly loud. Um, you just imagine driving along with a DFE or a Cov- uh, Coventry Climax directly behind your ear. I mean, can you imagine someone climaxing in your ear? Hasn't sound right, but <laughs> nevertheless, um, yeah, it, it, it's it's a festival of sound. And I guess a bit like a football match or something. You don't necessarily get that if you're watching on TV or listening or whatever way you're hearing your engines. When you're in it and you can feel it, you can hear and feel and and smell everything running. It it is quite incredible, and to be able to have this kind of festival of 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 speed, albeit will be a revival version of it. Um, the smell of it, the sound of it, it is something I think to savour, particularly as we move forward into more of an electric age. It it, it is really something else. I mean, the the noise of the cars at the revival certainly won't go away, will it? I mean, as cars become no. more and more electrified, I think that the revival 
only allows cars in that would have raced there in period, doesn't it? So forty, yeah. uh, what was it, forty-eight to sixty-six, something like that. It it ran for, um, and those are the only cars that are allowed there. So it's it's not um, it's not a, a rolling thing. Next year they don't allow cars from nineteen sixty-seven to race there and sixty-eight and so on and so forth. So I don't think we have too many concerns about it becoming an electric festival. Any minute now, oh, they've, no. they've got the uh, the festival of speed for that because the the idea of that is um, is historic stuff, but modern stuff as well. So the festival of speed, you'll see uh, pre-war cars and bikes going up the hill all the way up to uh, the Volkswagen Pikes Peak affair over the last couple of years, and robotized mm. electric yeah, cars and and all sorts of stuff. So the I, I like the fact that they keep the revival just purely for the revival. I mean, it's, it's all way before my time for actually seeing it race live uh, by quite a few number of years. And and I must admit, I do get confused and, and I'm not really sure what's what now and again. I've heard of most of the manufacturers there, but that's actually part of the appeal because you can be walking along mm. and you think, that's a car company I've never, ever heard of. And, and that's yeah. quite a rare thing, you know, at, at the very least, even if you can't name all the models that they produced in the years and... The, uh, the type codes and this, that, the other, to, to have not heard of the manufacturer at all, but to see the vehicle still running is um, is quite a nice thing, I think. So definitely highly mm. recommended. And certainly some of those brands have long since disappeared, Fraser Nash, for example. The other thing is, where else are you going to see a brace of 250 GTOs lined up next to each other? Just left in the garages, you can wander around and have a bit of a look at them. Well, how, how many were parked up next to each other? There was, was it eight? Oh, there, there were a load. Uh, just the yeah, all next to each other. The lights, lights taped up. Some with some smashed lenses. Yeah. Um, and then a load of E-types on the other side. And then on the other hand, you we saw a, a prefit tucked up there. A load of minis. There was just a huge variety of different cars from pre-war, post-war. It's just a little bit of everything. Um, and like you say, lots that you can see and learn. Lots of stuff that you probably wouldn't see anywhere else apart from this because they are in private collections or in private garages. And just some otherwise really interesting stuff. There's a, um, a Bentley Thunderstruck as opposed to Thunder Guts um, <laughs> with Brian Johnson's name. And Thunder Guts certainly is the one that uh, that's over in America. Not sure the history of Thunderstruck and certainly it would be worth uh, having a bit of a delve into, I think, after this. But but cool, nevertheless. And it's, it's not just about cars either, is it? I mean, there's at least three people um, that are listening to this podcast are interested in the fact that it's about fashion, apparently. Um, so, yes, there is a, a lot of that there. There's a definite 60s vibe to a lot of the fashion today. Um, it was uh, 19, 1951 was the year that this revival was set. Um, but 60s is still acceptable to go dressed up as if you if you feel so compelled. Um, and they always do a fantastic job costuming. So you will see the... Uh, the girls, I've, we popped some pictures up on our, on our social, so you can go and have a quick look. The girls all dressed up in, in sort of the sixties garb. You've got the uh, the glam cabs. You've got uh, air hostesses. All kinds of people wandering around, just playing the part. And if you go to Goodwood and you don't dress up for revival, it's it's almost a bit sad because so many people are dressed up. It looks weird seeing someone wandering around in jeans and a t shirt, doesn't it? Yeah, really weird. You, def- you definitely feel like the odd one out if you're uh, not suitably attired. I mean, it's it's not you know. To put anyone off, you don't have to go out and spend hundreds of pounds on a an authentic vintage outfit or try and put a special wardrobe together just for the occasion. You know, as long as you you can if you want to. Oh yeah, absolutely. But as as long as you've you've made somewhat of an effort, then then you feel quite appropriate with it. I mean, uh, as always, the uh, the hat that I bought on the day sort of just finished off my 
outfit quite nicely and it and it made the whole thing look relatively old fashioned and peaky Jimbo quite well. Yeah, definitely. It was uh, definitely Peaky Blinders inspired. And uh, and on the way out, we saw a, a an old uh, pickup truck with uh, Baxter Limited, my surname of course, on the side. So I, that definitely had uh, hues of Shelby Company Limited. Well, Baxter Company Limited. So we grabbed a quick photo of that. But yeah, that's that's what I like about it. Even in the car park on the way in or on the way out. I mean, you could probably spend three hours just wandering around the car park, couldn't you? You could. I mean, I know a chap who took his his young family up and literally just spent the day having a picnic and wandering around through the classic cars at the park time because it's a car show in itself. There was some some serious machinery up there, and some the people had left DB fives and Ferraris and everything else. And I guess if you well, you'd said if you can't leave it there, where can you leave it? Mm. These are cars that I'm sure probably don't leave the owner's sides too often. A, a, a true a true treat better one to three we will post up the pictures incidentally of of jim and i in our period dress uh on our socials so you'll be able to see what we look like i'm stood by uh, a spitfire in a hangar because there are also a load of planes at, at goodwood of course as well because it's an airfield um the circuit itself used to be the outer perimeter road um and up until i think it was the early 90s maybe late 80s it was not in great shape it's not that long ago really that it's been properly restored back into a, an active race circuit. It's big as well, like like any any uh, circuit. The generally speaking, there is a good size. And Google does get affected by different bits of weather, depending where you are. So if you are out racing, you can find a wet bit, a greasy bit, a dry bit and everything else. And that does make it a little bit trickier, I think, to get round. A cool place, worth, worth driving around if you can, worth visiting if not. And Revival is, is a decent one to be able to take the, the entire family to if you want to, uh, to to look at the planes, the cars, enjoy the fashion, enjoy the food, there's dancing, everything. We are yeah, we are fans of this, I think. Definitely, definitely. But and there's a, not just uh, old-fashioned stuff that we saw in the car park. We, uh, we actually saw a, well, I say prototype. It's not, not really a prototype. Was mm. it? It, was a, it's a, uh, it was a Ford Focus estate and the middle bit of it looked fairly similar. If not identical to the an ST line one. estate, uh, indeed. But they'd uh, they'd covered over the uh, the front and the back with a normal camo tape. Uh, but they'd also gone to the effort of covering the Ford badges and the centre caps of the wheels. And it's like, it's yes, not like everybody can't look at that and know exactly what it is. You know, they'd left all the Ford logos on the glass, etc. And it was reasonably obvious and the number plates had Ford Motor Company written on them so it, it didn't yeah, take that's, too that's much detective point. work to work out what it was but I was just amazed to see it in the car park like that because if you were that desirable of learning about what it actually looked like underneath the wrap you could have just peeled the wrap off and taken some pictures couldn't you? Yeah it's mad it's, this had the, the press camera on there just, it was just obviously designed to stop you from being able to see the angles and lines and things of the car and there have been a few leaked in inverted commas and uh, not leaked sorry these are, are photos that people have just taken they've not been leaked i mean i made that up entirely they've definitely not been leaked um to the press it's these are, uh, are photos of the car where it's been spotted um in use and i guess it's probably being out doing long distance driving so it's either been very strategically placed or someone's been pretty careless with parking the car up in the car park and instantly leaving the passenger window open yes and we we did think oh should we, should we just lean in and remove the cover that they put over the dashboard and the center console and everything but you again it was a bit it's a bit like um if your parents bought you bought you a bike for christmas and wrapped it up it's well it's painfully obvious what it is because it's now just wrapping paper in the silhouette of a bike 
uh, and the, the cloth that they draped over the centre console. You know, it was a big iPad-sized tablet stuck out of the dashboard and this black cloth just draped lovingly around it. It, it was really obvious that the new Focus mm. is going to have a very similar dashboard layout to the uh, the Fiesta that's just been announced, you know, somewhere between the Fiesta and the Mackie, but probably more like the Fiesta with a huge screen in the middle. But they'd left the window open. I mean, that's is, is that a... That is a bit silly. A fault with the vehicle that the window just randomly rolls itself down afterwards? I, I hope not, but I also hope that they weren't silly enough to leave the window down. Someone's going to have a very soggy bottom after this. Possibly. If you're interested, um, we'll pop the pictures up. Um, as far as we can see, it's got new headlamps with a little LED signature, slightly darker tail lamps, and goodness knows maybe they've got a slightly different signature as well. But uh, otherwise, it's a smaller grill, and it looks pretty much the same on the outside, as far as I can tell. Yeah, there's not, not a huge amount of, uh, of effort gone in, and I didn't see a, a plug-in hybrid flap on the side or anything like that. No, so that was disappointing. I, I don't think there'll be too much in uh, in the way of an electrified drivetrain at all. I mean, there'll be the mild hybrid, but it's not really hybrid, is it? I think probably the most that we're going to see out of this is that the fog lamps will be integrated into the headlamps like Audis and everything else have been for a while. VWs have had that for, what, the Mark IV Golf maybe had the fog lamps integrated into the headlamps? Something like that. I'm imagining that. Yes. Anyway, so you might see a different uh, style to the bumper for the different specs, but now missing the fog lamps. But there you go. That was our, our new car spot that we weren't expecting to spot, nevertheless. Ian Cook from Pop Bank Colour, uh, automotive artist. So I am here at, within, and we are at the end of Goodwood Revival. And oh, I imagine we're all just a, 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 li- a little bit tired, but there's a lot of colour here. And there's something very exciting. A Chevy Spark, first time I've seen a Chevy Spark that I'm, I think is perhaps attractive to me. I think it's, <laughs> it's it's a bit of a left-field choice. So explain to me about the car and explain to me a bit about what you do. I mean, ultimately, the Chevy Spark was you know, normally found in you know, rent-a-car centres in Europe. It's, you know, it's the, the car that you normally given when it's a small a small car you want to uh, go around Spain in normally yeah, handbrake turns in a car park kind of car yeah isn't it? yeah it's not your normal choice uh, yeah so basically history of the car is um, I, I worked with Chevrolet UK when they first came to the UK uh, which was 2010 um, but they came before that but the, this car was launched 2010 but actually this car is on 59 plate because it's the, one of the first press cars okay. that came in so the LT has roof rack and additionally it's like the top spec you could have at the time mm-hmm. um, so uh, yeah so I worked with Chevy uh, and at 40,000 miles the gearbox uh, gave up and I didn't use it for three years, so I kind of used other cars and worked with, with different brands. Um, and then it came around to actually fixing it, so I got it fixed. Um, and then last year, uh, what happened was I was do- I've been doing a continuous car project, which is conti- drawing cars in a continuous line, um, which went really well online, and you know people got back you know, the automotive industry got behind it, and. Um, I decided that I wanted to convert it into a mobile studio. Or, well, the initial idea was to go and get a crafter, like a crafter, a Volkswagen Caddy, or a transporter. But the it sounds inter- too easy, by the way. To be honest, it is an easy. There's it, far too much room in a transporter yeah, exactly. as well. Exactly. There is, there is headroom. I don't lose my hair on, on, <laughs> the, on, the, on the roof. Um, so, yeah, so we, we did go and have a look. Uh, but also at that time, everybody wanted to get into those vehicles because they wanted to stay at home and have their staycations. So the values of those vehicles were a lot higher than 
normal. So this guy was sat outside not doing anything uh, and I took it to a company called Vital who build concept cars and last year, funnily enough, they weren't too busy because um, there weren't, com- companies weren't building concept cars for big shows because there wasn't any. So I took it in on a Monday I said, by the Thursday I need this back to work in and take down to Mr Heritage. Um, so they stripped it got it all got everything out it came back with a, sh- a shop at the back a desk for me to work in um, and over the last year we've just tweaked it and changed it and every time we go out alter, we slightly alter it and um, so so yeah so now it's a, a, a mobile studio which has got a leisure battery in it which is supplied by UASA who um, sponsor obviously been a, a touring car sponsor for quite quite a while so they know me through touring cars so they supply the leisure battery um, and a, a friend of mine runs a T5 camper converter company so he did the conversion with the battery um, and it's yeah it's worked really and now it's here well it's definitely definitely eye catching and you can fit it inside a gazebo or inside yeah. well we saw you actually at the British Motor Show and you had managed to have it inside there as well working away so. yeah it's, the, the, the weird thing about it is it's the perfect size because it's small like any bigger you wouldn't get it into the marquee and stuff so Weirdly, the Chevy Spark is the perfect <laughs> mobile studio. I'm not quite sure that was uh, the original brief when they designed it, but it's nice to know it's worked out <laughs> yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, funny enough, Craig Cheatham, who was the PR manager for the British Motor Show, he's he, yeah, they, they like that it's still going and it's still on its uh, you know, it's it's been used effectively. Um, but yeah, it's, it's got a roof rack and it's got a bit of fun. Yeah, I mean, what I like it. it what I like, it, it puzzles people trying to work out what car it is because there is no branding on it. So, like, people walk past and go, I hear them go, is it an up? Is it a... Is, what is it? Yeah, um, it's not overly obvious, no, is it? The, no, the, the, the steering wheel badges covered up and everything. I've covered up all the badges, yeah, because it, it's my... It's my it's, it's a pop-back colour car. Um, but, yeah, I do get uh, spotted on route most places. It is, uh, it is an awesome bit of kit, and it definitely draws, uh, draws your eye in, but more than that it's because it's covered in all of your drawings and you do some pretty funky stuff don't you because we had a look a little bit earlier on at a huge Italian job painting and this, that's why I say painting you've not painted it in the traditional manner have you? yeah I don't I don't use brushes well not normal brushes my brushes are radio control cars tyres and wheels so I, I that's what I'm normally you know for for 16 years I've painted with radio control cars and it was all going very fine and you know up until February 2020 when the world started to stop and no car events and not being able to create live at shows so I had to work from home like everybody else so my idea of working from home was to convert the car <laughs> so so uh, yeah no it just um, yeah it, it all kind of works quite nicely and the, for me it was it was being able to go to an event and set up in like 15 minutes yeah when, yeah, when I say, obviously not all the marquee stuff just the car that I can actually arrive at an event and pretty quickly be ready to go yeah so rather than having a big three four hour setup and you know a two day setup in terms of the marquee you know if I just want to go to a small show you know we're talking about evenings and whatever yeah then I just go in the car so in reverse order then so we've, we've seen the spark we've seen some of your incredible art which has been done with cars where did it start what made you think I can do this and then what led you into painting with cars and then into continuous car obviously I, I just always being from the Midlands like I've grown up with the industry my uncle's worked at JLR all his life um, when I was a kid I wanted to be him I, you know, like 
whenever it was Christmas, he'd have like the latest car. And I was like, that, that's the coolest job. Like when you're, when you're into cars and your uncle's driving really cool stuff, you're like, I want to do that job. And I did, so I, I, I shadowed him for a week when I was 15. So I went and did um, a week's work experience. Um, it was then Rover. Uh, and it was an amazing week, but after that I realised I didn't want to be a car designer. <laughs> <laughs> didn't want it. Lots of meetings about meetings. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I, I then went and did illustration, a B-Tech illustration, then I did a BA in fine art. So my illustration comes from, I trained as an illustrator, and then went to do fine art, which is like the more painterly side. So, and I've just always, cars is my thing, like, you know, vehicles. Yeah, I do, I, t- I dabble with motorcycles. I, in terms of I draw, I draw. I, I'm not a I'm not a motorbicalist. I don't really get it. <laughs> no, I'm I mean I, I drive you. a car with a motor motorbike engine, so that I've got a Morgan three wheeler. That's the closest. Yeah, that's that, cool. That I would go. Have you considered painting with a three wheeler? I mean, it'd be a bit messy. You need something water based. On yeah, it. yeah, and it's yeah, it's, it's such a silly car. A bunch of cars either the, the back wheel because it's you know it's underneath the car, so you can't see it. So, um, but yeah, no, it's so yeah, cars have always been a massive passion of mine, and. Yeah, when I started doing events, you know, like, I look back at it now and uh, it's a bit like I didn't know what Goodwood was and I'd, I'd just go and, yeah, I'd, I'd go to it and be like, oh, this is a cool event, but I've no idea what it is. Um, and then, yeah, over, over the years I've been doing it, I've just, look, you know, been fortunate enough to go to places, see, you know, be invited to places, created in some pretty cool places, so... Now, I think the best thing for you to do now is to go and see this. So where can people find you online? Right, so it's Pop Bang Colour, spelt the British way. So there's a U in the colour. Um, the proper way. The yeah. proper way. Um, so, yeah, Pop Bang Colour on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I dabble with TikTok. I don't really get it. But, you know, I, d- I dabble. It's like, oof. It's like putting your, your, your toe in hot water and going, ooh, that bit's a bit hot over there. Um, uh, and then... Yeah, a bit of YouTube videos because it's YouTubeable because I record stuff. Um, but yeah, mainly it's the Instagram and yeah. Facebook. And quite often we can see you streaming. We've interrupted yeah. you streaming now, in fact. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> People will come back. <laughs> of course, yeah. they will. Uh, hopefully, they will. no. Yeah, um, yeah. I just, I just find that I can just. It's easy enough for me to put the camera on, and I'm going to be doing it anyway. So other people might as watch if they enjoy watching. Me. It's fascinating to watch. I have sat there watching you. It's a bit, seems, I feel a bit voyeuristic just looking over your shoulder. But. No, I really enjoyed the, the, the thing about lockdown. Yeah, the, the lockdown time we had is uh, you know, doing the conversations with drivers and people in the industry. That's what I really enjoyed. Like it was awesome to chat to drivers, to people in the industry who I who I literally see for five minutes at a show, but I was able to sit with them for an hour and just go, right, tell me how you got into presenting, tell me how you got into race, how did you become a race driver? And those stories, some are, yeah, oh, well, karting, blah, blah, and some, you know, some are late into it, and it's still fascinating how, how all of a sudden, at whatever age, they decide they want to go into touring car. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, no, it was a really cool, it, was a, it made a very odd time for a lot of people. I hoped it brought a little bit of, normality or so they could kind of forget what was going on because there's a lot of fear factor going on and I felt by doing something which took away from that it would help people yeah and, sure. I, and that's what hopefully like, well somebody posted today and said he really enjoyed listening to him so it's those little moments of joy isn't it you know it's, it's these little different things that you can do it's, they're, they're, there's a lot of energy behind what you do you can see it 
in, in your drawings, you can see it in the paintings, you can see the motion of things. And it's it's nice to be able, when we've everything's stopped and become so still, to be able to still have that, still have that enjoyment, still have that, that motion and energy, and it's it's great. Yeah, no, and, a bit of extra uh, colour in the world. Yeah, and, and the paintings and the, the paintings and the drawings can coexist. Like, I'm going to do both. Yeah, it's not like I'm just going to start one and pick up the other one, or, you know, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, for me, it's like. I want to do both because they can appeal to different different audiences. Um, yeah, I mean, I love stuff you know, like the tangible painting. Yeah, I love creating the large the art the large paintings. There'll just be less of them uh, and maybe more kind of corporate led, so it'll be more kind of corporate gig led. Right, whereas the the drawings will be more personal. So, but they seem to work together and people like both. So. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for talking to us. We better let you get back to what you're doing. Because you're right. a busy man. And no, it's fine. Thank you, fine. Nice thank you for the coffee. Much appreciated. Oh, yeah, most <laughs> welcome. Thank you indeed. It's great to see you. That was good. Buddy. Thank Cheers. you. away from Goodwood we have done things to the mini haven't we because I said we've done things to me that sounds terrible we've done anything we've done anything we've, we've fitted a new exhaust to the mini which is great and it sounds very good and it's stainless steel and it was approximately a quarter of the cost of the original one which is good news however I have made it worse already this is because when I had to refit the heat shield underneath the car and the plastic nuts hold on why would you use plastic nuts on a heat shield but anyway had melted and had to cut them off basically I've now fitted it it's perfect unless the engine's cold and now the exhaust and then it gets hot just squeaks on the top of it ever so slightly it makes a very weird noise so i need to fix that and then on the way home despite the fact that we had to use an air gun to tighten up the clamps on the exhaust and it was how, how tight was it uh 364 dugger duggers and a normally lot. normally two or three dugger duggers on an electric gun is tight enough for most things even wheel nuts but this this was out of the proper hooked up to the air compressor which will drive all the ramps and everything else at the same time that took a lot of dugger duggering and um yeah still still not quite tight enough a bit of pace needed i think if we tighten that up any more then the car is likely to swivel around on the top of the air gun or some bolts will start snapping one of the two it is unbelievable, but something is making it make a race car noise now, which is hilarious. Uh, and as you lift off, you are getting the proper boom, 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 boom. Well, the thing that the Fiesta did uh, was certainly making lots of pops and bangs towards the end of the last track day, but the, the blow definitely got worse by the end of it once it had gone through a few heat mm. cycles. So luckily we've got a, a bit of strategically shaped tubing, so we'll, uh, we'll fit that to the Fiesta at some point before our uh, our next track day, which we've we've booked when have we booked that for it was a bit in advance wasn't it because it made it a lot cheaper mm, november uh i think it was something like that so top uh, top consumer advice people if you are looking at uh at booking a track day book it as far in advance as you possibly can it does uh, it does mean you save a few quid uh monday the 15th of november we're off there so we'll uh, we'll try not to build anticipation and get you too excited listeners before uh, our next track day but uh I'm sure there'll be a report afterwards and maybe a video or two. Yeah, so that is Brands Hatch. So if you're if you're there, come over and say hi, because it'd be nice to meet you. Um, but don't just go, hi, and look at this, because we'll, we'll have no idea who you are. So explain <laughs> when you say hi. Um, and come and show us your car, because we'd like to talk to you about it. Unless you're not driving around the track, and it's just, a, I don't know, a, a Lupo. Or, no, I like Lupos, actually. 
uh, a course. If it's a course, then don't talk to us about it because we're not interested. Well, I think the uh, the track day is a Ford only track day. I think. Good, so it won't be a Corsa, which is handy because ours is a Ford. I this morning started the whole all the back uh, catalogue of Top Gear is now available on the iPlayer. Oh, that's um, dangerous. It is. So the season one when it was Jason Dawn, it was a. An, an empty hangar, effectively, when they had to move the audience around to each <laughs> bit. Uh, and then I've just, I thought I'd start on season two and begin with one where James May first comes into the, the trio. So all the way back then, it they had the uh, the Ford Streetcar on there. The, I used to love those. I thought they were brilliant little cars. They were yeah. hilarious. So the Smart Roadster and the VW Beetle convertible. <laughs> I've, I've got a bit of a soft spot for the uh, the street car, but the sport car as well, because that was a, the same affair just without the, the, the convertible twins. And that was uh, the, that was my first ever company car, and it was brilliant. It was it was certainly flawed, but. It was hilarious, and the handling on it was brilliant. And you know, if they hadn't all rotted away into oblivion, it would make a very good track car. Um, it it certainly put the handling of a lot more expensive cars to shame. Uh, just a shame about the rot. But the uh, the street car that was uh, that was quite a thing. And of course, it never leaked, did it? No, and they had big wheels on them with a twenty mil beam spacer that goes behind the rear brakes. There you go. There's another geeky fact for you that also fits things like Mark Six Fiestas. And Pumas and all kinds of bits and pieces. And you can increase the rear track on your car, which is what I did on my second Fiesta. My second car, sorry, which was a Fiesta. A quite new one then. And I made the rear, the rear track really quite wide. Um, so it was 20mm wider either side than the front track. Uh, and that thing handled incredibly well. Sport car, street car, didn't they widen the front track more than they did the rear track to give the front end more grip? Yes, and the back end a bit more playfulness, I think. Yeah, yeah. So although it was wider all round, it was more wider at the front, or some such better English. Yes. Yeah. And and actually a hoop to drive. So if you do get if you get the opportunity to drive one of those, and it's not a pile of rust, tell us because we don't believe you. <laughs> um, <laughs> get some get some video uh, video evidence. Anyway, next time we speak to you, I'm sure the guys will have a lot more to update you on, including an incredibly fast Volvo, which I know Graham is itching to tell us about. But for now, I think it's probably time we say goodbye, isn't it? I think so. Thank you very much for listening. Drive safely. And you've been listening to the Goodwood Revival Special of the UK Motor Talk Podcast. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye for now. UK Motor Talk with the Goodwood Revival, 2021. A first-take media production.